Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I really appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode with director of the Mazda Orange Seal Off-Road Racing Team, John Harp, or as he's known to his friends, Johnny Gravel. He's got an interesting and long history with the bike, road racing in kind of the post-dawn era of international cycling in the U.S. back in the late 80s. He was discovered to be a potential top U.S. rider by then coach of the nascent U.S. cycling team, Eddie B. He was, his racing was cut short for reasons that I'll let him tell, but suffice it to say, he was later drawn back in by the joy found on gravel roads which led him, eventually, to form the Mazda Orange Seal Off-Road Racing Team. We had a great conversation about the origin of the team and discussed the riders on the team this year. I enjoyed talking with him, and I hope you do too. John Harp. John Johnny Gravel Harp. Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm... uh, Excited to have you on, even through these technically challenging times sometimes. Stuff doesn't always behave as it should, but uh, I think we'll get a good recording out of this, and I'm excited to have you on. Dave, thanks for having me, and two old men trying to figure out a computer, so I guess there should be a glitch or two, (laughs) shouldn't there? Should be, absolutely. That's exactly the challenge we're having. Uh, You are the director of the Mazda... Orange Seal, Orange Seal Gravel Dirt Race Team, <laughs> and uh, been through some transition this year. Some new riders I'm excited to hear about, yep. and uh, hear about kind of the origin of the team. But before we get there, how about the origin of, uh, I, I even want to go back pre-Johnny Gravel um, to your early days racing. But uh, what's your background in bike? Where'd you get uh, Where'd you get your bike chops? You know, I um, grew up in the Midwest mostly, and I was about thirteen years old, just living west of uh, downtown Chicago. And there was a bike path that we lived close to that was thirteen miles to the Brookfield Zoo. And for whatever reason, I just got to be in my bonnet to try to borrow a bike or something, but I. I did the thing solo one day when I was 13, and I just, I must have had a runner's high from from heaven or something, because I just had to do it again, and I just kept doing it again and again, and then of course you start timing yourself, and then one thing leads to another, you find group rides, and I was baking bread and shoveling snow and mowing lawns, saving up money to buy a race bike, and, and um, met um a pretty amazing group of athletes that were already there that the the doctor of the olympic cycling team was actually based in that area and and he saw me on a group riding one day and just asked me if he could test me and evidently i blew up the test and uh, <laughs> a couple nights later eddie borshowitz the olympic cycling coach called me at dinner my dad was like, oh, there's a strange sounding guy on the phone wants to talk to John. So he was like, John, you have big motor. We'd like to uh, have you come to Colorado 
and I'm, you know, I'm just barely just picking up the fact that I was talking to the man and he wanted me to come to Colorado for an extended camp. And one thing led to another and I um, signed with a heck of a junior team, started winning some bike races and spent my summers at the Olympic Training Center and signed a pro contract when I was 20. I was a team that was based out of uh, uh, Belgium, but it was a Danish team. Long story short, um, I had a crossroads where I either began a doping program or I quit. So I quit cycling at the age of almost 21 and didn't unpack my bike. I never saw my bike again and didn't ride again. So that was 28 years off the bike. 27 years. Wow, what bike. year was this? Oh, uh, late 80s. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. That was You know, I I know guys like Tilford would just get pissed off at the guys who I mean, he wouldn't even see him in a race and then, you know, the next year they're beating him by a mile and he's like, "I know they're doping, but yeah. I can't do anything about that." And for you just to hang the bike up is powerful. Yeah, it was just like one of those moments where I signed this pro contract for $13,500 a year. And, and for for a U.S. kid to get recognized and actually signed was kind of a big deal at the time. There was a few of us, you know, that were, were making it. And I, I think I just fit the skill set. I was just, you know, I was a big guy uh, that could put out watts. Um, you know, I was never going to go over a climb in front of any, anybody, but it fit a European kind of team skill set that they needed to fill. I was pretty excited about it all, and then it just all ended in one one hot afternoon after a bike race where the the, the uh, trainer called me in and just basically pulled the wool off of my eyes and let me know what was going on and, and for me to realize that all of my teammates were doping to the girls and the only way for me to go forward was to begin and I I just something inside of me just said this isn't right but this isn't my path and um, I just knew that my day, my days of racing bikes was over so that's what happened. Wow. That's that's crazy. That's sad, actually. I mean, that kind of, that makes me sad. You know, I grew up in the <laughs> 80s watching the Le Mans, Fignons, uh, you know, and the days of Eddie B, uh, training the national team, and Alexi you know, yeah. Graywall, Connie Carpenter. Yeah. I, I mean, that whole, that whole generation were my heroes when I was, well, your age, 20, 21, sure. 22. Um, I, I came along and like the Davis Finneys and Eric Hydens and, and uh, Beth Hyden and Tom Schuler and Ron Kiefel and all those guys were all in that next class just above me. But I was, you know, I was just fast enough as a junior tour. I was actually, I was doing all of the crits as a junior with the pros and so I got a chance to stare at Eric Hyden's legs and, and got to see firsthand 7-Eleven dominate a criterium, which was kind of an art form back in the day. 
but yeah it mm. was it was actually the american crit and road scene was quite quite buzzing back in the day yeah for sure was yeah for sure was well i'm glad you found your way back what brought you back <laughs> uh you know, I was just in a marriage that was a little sideways, and I, I just was like, man, I need something healthy to pedal off some angst, and so I just, I bought a, a used road bike, and I just started just going out mashing the pedals, and I just, it was, it was only therapy, is my, it was my only reason why I got on that thing, but I started uh, riding five, six days a week, and then I started riding hard and then I started riding really hard and then I started adding some volume and um, I was in Colorado and I didn't want to enter a race in my in my neighborhood because I figured I'd get killed <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to see all the all the locals get see me get killed so I went to Texas for a gravel race just to see if I could hang and it ended up winning the bike race oh. and that just kind of like was a domino to just getting more involved in gravel and just the gravel was more of a fit for my for my skill set yeah huh that's so, interesting how long ago was that oh boy eight years yeah yeah and you haven't looked back yeah actually uh, yeah seven or eight years ago i just turned 50 hmm. sweet so, well, welcome, welcome back. You've uh, come back, uh, kind of storming onto the scene. Uh, tell me about the origin story of the uh, the Mazda Orange Seal team. Like, where'd that come from? Who sure. says, like, gosh, we should put together a team of gravel riders? Yeah. You know, I had come from being around either on some really awesome teams or around some pretty amazing teams that were well run that um, kind of saw the bigger picture. And so I just, even after I left cycling, I, I was involved in sports with other teams and stuff. And so there was just always something to me that was powerful about having a group of people come together and then doing it well. And I just had this vision that was just kind of eaten away at the back of my head because I knew that my days of like wrecking gravel were coming to an end and that my days of, you know, being really competitive myself were, would, would soon be over and just, you know, here I am, I'm divorced at the time I'm raising two kids. This is like the worst time, worst possible time to think about starting a cycling team because it's I mean obviously this isn't something to get rich doing but um I just had this vision in my head that was just keep eating at me and uh, sorry I got a Labrador retriever pup that's that's chewing on a bone oh uh, I watched the movie Field of Dreams one night and I just, I spent the rest of the night staring at the ceiling. And I, by the morning, I, I just was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Build it. 
build it, they if will come. If you build it, they will come. And that was oh, just an awesome. expression that just kept coming back into my mind. And obviously, there's a lot of things you could extract from that if you wanted to. But um, <laughs> there was just something that stuck out at me. And it, it, it didn't make logical sense. But within a few days, I had a list of probably 160 um, cycling companies, probably 60 or 70 bike companies. And then we made it a short list of, you know, bikes that, you know, there's a lot of bike companies, but how many bikes do you want to race, right? That's fair. Um, I mean, it's it's got to be equipment that riders, like, want to be on. Sportful became an early partner. Rodeo Labs, which was just a young, you know, growing custom bike company out of, you know, Colorado. So we just started um, accruing some really amazing partners, Mazda, and then Summit Automotive and Groove in Denver there came on board and, and backed us financially, Horn Seal. Um, so it's, it's kind of morphed. You know, our, our first race was almost, what, five years ago, was Mid-South. And, you know, here I'm popping off that we're, we're going to put guys on the podiums at all these big races. I mean, that's a pretty big ask, right? That's a big ask, and that's yeah. a big race to try and throw somebody on yeah, the podium at. Here we are. It's our first race, and I'd signed Jonathan Baker, who's like 43 years old, but um, just an, like an amazing guy and incredibly intelligent and just an amazing motor, but he was third place. So oh, we no way. We literally, in our first race, uh, were on the podium. And then we, I mean, we pretty much wrecked gravel that first couple of years. It was pretty awesome. Oh, that is awesome. A lot of directions we could go in this conversation. One thing I want to ask about is your relationship with Mazda. And it's not super common to have, at least at this level, a non-endemic I don't know if that's, I'm saying that word correctly. Yeah. Um, a a non-bike company sponsoring a cycling team. And I'm curious how, I mean, you're, they're still there. You're hanging on to them. They're still, yeah. you still have that relationship. Uh, how do they find the value of, for their investment? Like, are they seeing a return? Do you guys have discussions about that? What are they happy with? What would they like to see more of? Just curious about that relationship sure. and if others can learn from that. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, just from my standpoint, the only longevity I see in a cycling team like ours is you either have to just be so amazing, you have to be so Keegan Swenson-like, like performance results. And also, I mean, if you look at Keegan, how well he does on social media, and there's there's way more than one example, but for us to be successful, I just always thought we had to get um, partners that were not involved in the bike business. Um, and that, Tell me the philosophy behind that. Why? That's not my first thought. I think, sure, gosh, I want to get people sure. uh, who are in the bike business. Well, I mean, it's not like, as far as like equipment sponsors and stuff like that, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, 
there's some there's some partners that we've had that were uh, there's no question to them or to us that we move the needle for them. We just sold so many wheels or bikes or something, you know. Yep. But um, in the end, to go to them and just say, hey, we, we, we need a um, half a million dollar budget this year. We need you to write a big check. There's not very many bike companies that are in the position to do that. Yeah, that's... And, you know, like if you talk to Mazda or Toyota or somebody like that, they're going to spend more money on a 30-second commercial than they will on two or three sports teams. Or, you know, then then a head or something would have to spend on a cycling team. Right, for, right. For an entire year. So... Right. Um, just for us, it, it just, for me, it this lends some credibility to what we do for us to be able to go outside of the business. And I think that we need to, um, obviously create value for them. And I think that's a little bit, um, those people have such exotic, um, ways to, to calculate all of these different metrics mm-hmm. on how many times their, their product or image pops up on almost anything they're able to track. I mean, Garmin has this outrageous way to uh, track the return on their investment. And almost all these big corporations do that. So fortunately for us, uh, you know, it is a sponsorship that is basically, uh, what do they call it? That um, A lot of these, you know, big car dealerships, they... Um, have co-op advertising dollars mm-hmm. to where they're able to steer that money from corporate. So does some part of our budget come from Mazda corporate? Yes. But that is part of, um, pooled money mm, out of a mar- out of a marketing pool. They call it a co-op pool. Yep. Makes sense. So Alex, Alex Gillette at um, Summit Automotive in Centennial, Colorado, kind of directs some of those funds our way. So nice. It turns into, you know, in the past, it was a couple vehicles and um, cash, which is just in, an enormous blessing for us because obviously we have to retain riders and pay entry fees and travel and stuff. So that's been, it, it might sound magical to like, to, to land a, you know, the Toyotas and the, you know, Samsungs or whoever else might be out there. But the, my story is probably less exotic. I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love it if it just sounded all amazing and I talked to the president of Mazda and he liked me so much he just sp- sponsored me, but that's not the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it may not be sexy and, and uh, gorgeous story, but it's uh, uh, it, it's a creative way to put together the money to run the team yeah. and pull in dollars into the world of cycling that otherwise wouldn't be and if you think about it like we all need vehicles to get from point a to point b mm-hmm. whether that's to show up at the trailhead or drive to texas to go to a gravel race sure. or whatever um 
you know, even uh, go on vacation, we go down to Bentonville and ride our mountain bikes and sure. that's fun, but we got to get there. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's a definitely a complementary industry, but, uh, but not direct. So yeah, I say kudos to you for bringing in some outside money, outside money. I love it. Uh, you do also have some, uh, cycling industry money, or I don't know if you have money or, or just a bunch of bottles of orange seal, but, uh, <laughs> you signed up with, uh, orange seal this year. Yeah. And my question to you is one, how many bikes are in your garage? Hmm. You know, I just bought my wife a new specialized Epic Ooh, for nice. her birthday. So that's a mountain bike. I have a road bike and a gravel bike, and those are the only two bikes that I own personally. Oh, well, all right. I have uh, an extra team bike, uh, three, four. There's six total bikes, but four of them are only four of them belong to me. <laughs> I, I was well, always like, the... I was always like, keep one road bike. You know, when my old, when, when it was time for a new road bike, I sold the old one, you know, mm -hmm. same yeah, thing I can, with I can... bikes. Now I've, I'm building up a new S-Works Crux that's just going to be the most outrageous bike, but my old Lauf, I don't want to see that thing anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. What size are you? Maybe we should talk offline. <laughs> oh, it's a um, uh, 58. Oh, you're too big for me. Um, well, the reason I ask is, you know, I mean, you and I are about the same age, grew up with tubes, and uh, gosh, I mean, I've got... My wife and I each have a mountain bike, we each have a gravel bike, we each have a cross bike, we've got a tandem, we've got, I've got two road bikes, she's got her two road bikes, I mean, we just have a ton of bikes, and I just cannot get my brain wrapped around managing sealant. Can you yeah. relate to that? Talk me into yeah. sealant. Yeah, yeah, I mean... We've all gone through experimenting with all kinds of sealant. And I did that, you know, and the, you know, I would settle on orange seal and then somebody comes out and says, ah, oh, there's something that's, you know, bigger and better and fancier. And I try that and I would just hate it. And like the, my valves would get fouled and it dries up fast. And so I always would come back to orange seal. Ooh. And then we got fortunate enough. I got to meet John Vargas a little bit ago and he got involved with the team, but the conversation, not about that. I'm like on my road bike right now. I've 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 never crossed over until recently with uh, t going to the tubeless, and I don't know, I don't know. I went with these, you know, those really like they're about the, as thick as a condom, and they're pink and yellow and all of the what's the what are those two latex. Latex tubes? Uh, no, they're not latex. It's a, like a plasticky oh. sort of uh, material. But anyway, I've been experimenting with those, and I just had my like fourth flat yesterday. Oh. So now I'm like, ah, maybe I'm just going back to the. I so I got one wheel that's uh, got sealant, and one wheel that's got the tubes, and I've had four flats. They're the same tire, so I'm running um, sealant in one and the tubes in the other, and I'm just. I think I'm. I think I'm going back to the 
sealant in every uh, every bike that I ride a lot I'm gonna run sealant in and if if I build up a townie like I want to or just a knockabout mountain bike I'm just gonna leave tubes in it just because I don't ride them that much fair enough I don't know I'm, I'm all ears if you got some better advice for me no I just like everybody leans into me about Dave you got to freaking put you got to get on the uh, tubeless bandwagon now I'm like ah I don't want to manage all those tires that are hanging in my garage every you know, year. What's you know what's interesting in my situation is it's a little bit unrealistic because, like, how many guys just get sent all these sets of exotic wheels and tires all the time, right? And boxes of sealant. So I, I've lived in a little bit of a unrealistic world one day i'll wake up in the real world and realize wow all that sealant costs a lot of money and those tires are a hundred bucks a piece you know, <laughs> you know? that's my world so i'm, <laughs> that I'm is my I'm, world for I sure i don't live in the real world just yet but i'm just smart enough to know that i don't live in the real world but um as far as gravel goes i can't imagine running anything else but just tubeless uh, I just got to give it a try, don't I? Well, uh, it's faster. The rolling resistance is faster. It's uh, so a little bit lighter setup. Um, and the orange seal in the, you know, climates that are a little bit more humid, I've discovered here, just lasts longer. You know, Ooh. that dry Texas wind just seemed to turn the latex into a dry substance so fast. But here, oh. here I'm having a lot better luck, and um, so yeah, it's it's not a perfect science. Um, you know, we still got to plug a tire every once in a while. But I think w once you cross over, I can't imagine going back. At least for gravel, the gravel and the well, bikers, I can't imagine. Are you on a gravel well, bike a lot? Yeah, oh yeah, I, yep, gravel, road, mountain. I mean, we ride all our bikes all the time. Sure. Okay, well, I, I'll leave you alone. If you want to ride tubes, that's all good. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I'll just watch you ride away from me. I understand. And then uh, I'll, I'll be on the side of the road putting a new tube in, fixing a flat when uh, I hit a piece of glass or a little pick up a little piece of wire from somebody's shredded tire or something. Yeah. But, Anyway, I, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I ought to get just give it a try. Um, it, it's like the people that complain about how hard it is to wax their chain. Once you oh, once man. you once you cross over, you never go back. I I love a waxed chain. I mean, that's from that's from the eighties. Like I used to, you know, just go buy a block of paraffin and melted on the stove which you probably shouldn't do but um drop my chain in there yeah about once a week once every week and a half and so smooth so clean yeah loved it there loved you go it. yep it's in the same bucket for me as tubeless tires yeah but i haven't ever seen pictures of somebody's chain spewing sealant all over their <laughs> living room when they were changing their chains out but well, you know 
<clears throat> oh, fair. That's fair. All right, let's move on to uh, to some of the writers. You've got some returning, and uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Marissa Boaz. Uh, she's a good friend of ours in uh, Iowa here. Um, also a fan of uh, somebody new to the team this year, Jenna Reinhardt. We've been doing Schwamigan since 1999, and, you know, I don't know, five, six times she's been standing on the podium there. She's probably been on the podium more than five or six times, but I bet you she won that thing four or five times. You could probably take five minutes and teach me about Jenna Reinhardt because you maybe even know more than I do. I knew. Well, I know she. She's a. She's a upper Midwest uh, kind of legend. I mean, she's yeah. just been around a long time and. Um, you know, has beat people up on mountain bikes for, for many years. And, uh, I know she kind of backed off for a bit, but, uh, is back. And I mean, holy moly, sixth in the uh, lifetime Grand Prix last year. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a, that's a very competitive 35 riders. That's, that is well said and no doubt. And, I was kidding a little bit about the fact that you know more than I do, but I mean, I keep my keep my eyes out, just kind of watching what's going on in the men's and women's gravel scene, and not just gravel, but you know what's going on on the mountain bike races, and um, more lately, a little bit less so with watching road racing, just because gravel is trending towards more technical than less technical, but Jenna Reinhardt, I watched her race Big Sugar this last October, and then I hung around and watched how she treated people and just how she just handled herself, and I was like, wow. She had two mechanicals during that race, both of each, both about 90 seconds each, and she still bridged back to that group that she was in, which was just mind-numbing to do a solo bridge twice back to like five of the top women in gravel and I was like wow um long story short we I just was like what do we got to do we were on Lauf Lauf was not a fit for her because she was uh she owned a bike shop there and going with a company that was exclusively direct to consumer was just oh, not a that's fit. A, right, that's not a fit. So enter Specialized. Of course, in a perfect world, you just sign Specialized for the whole team, but obviously knocking on the uh, top floor at Specialized and having them say yes to a stranger, that's would take an, an act of God. So anyway, we just kind of like started problem solving, and she and I were just having some conversations and... and um, the next thing we knew, we had it all worked out. And what, three weeks later, I signed a deal with Specialized to get Specialized bikes for the rest of the team, which was a miracle. Literally a oh, miracle. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's public now? Yeah, we just, uh, they're building the bikes this week. Oh, that's uh, awesome. There's a couple what, of, uh, couple of com- 
couple of riders got complete bikes and then uh, a couple of riders got frames. Uh, what are the bikes? What are the, are they all the same? You like cruxes? What are you riding? Uh, S works crux. And then the drivetrains are going to be the, that new SRAM XO transmission. Oh, wow. What the, the we're going to go with the standard, um, my bike's got that fancy arrow carbon one by front chain ring with the cork power meter. You'll probably be winning races again since it's all fancy <laughs> arrow. Yeah. So yeah, um, we Vision and FSA is sending. Um, well, they've already sent the fancy arrow cockpits and stuff like that. But they they've sent headsets and bottom brackets. Well, actually, we don't have bottom brackets yet. But um, yeah, FSA and and Vision helped with some accessories. Head just finished the team wheels this week. Those went out to the riders. So you're back on heads. We're gonna stay with head. We're nice. We're with... uh, we're fans of uh, of head. Have been for a long time. Yeah, they just were bulletproof for us. And Anne has been great to work with. Just a can I tell you a funny part. story about Anne? Yeah. Um, they she and Steve would come do ragbri. Yeah. And I'm a longtime ragbriar, and uh, it seems like every year I would run into Steve and ride with him for a bit. And uh, at one point was riding with both he and Ann, and um, I'm like, ooh, nice wheels to Ann. And uh, she's like, oh, that's funny. I appreciate that. 20 minutes ago, some guy rides up, and he's like, what are you riding those for? Why are you riding those? Those are weird, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what he was saying, but he was making fun of her riding those wheels. And she's like, oh, well, why don't you tell that guy behind me, my husband? His name is Steve Head. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy oh. just like put his tail between his legs and <laughs> rode away. That was that was uh, best oh. comeback ever. So. <laughs> Yep, love those two, and and Ann is a gem for sure, and and yeah. uh, done great at keeping that company rolling. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to hear you're back on heads. Um, back through your list of uh, humans riding with you. Um, tell me about Eno. Eno. You know, last year I rode lost three of my fastest riders with health issues of some sort, um, a back issue, Marissa broke her pelvis, Eno was having some serious issues towards the middle of the season, and so I literally lost all three riders in the middle of the year, it was devastating, but Eno's got checked out, he's back being himself, he's back on a hard training schedule, he's back, he's being coached by Nick Gould, which is also on the team who's also an amazing coach. And I just think that that pair is just a good combination. So Eno is just one of the grittiest. Like he's a guy that could get dropped 10 times. I think he must've got, we were out watching the race at mid South last year out on the course, sneaking peeks at all of the front group when they were coming through and Eno must've got dropped 10 times 
but he just, you can't kill him. You know, you just can't kill the kid. And he came back, ended up fourth at Mid-South. And that was a pretty salty field right there. But he's done that a lot. I mean, that's just kind of classic Eno. Mm-hmm. It's Grits it, and not giving up. Yeah, Eno's not going to be the guy that says, ah, oh, just, you know, felt easy today. I had these amazing legs. I rode away from the world. But Eno is a hard worker. He's so prepared. He knows what's going on. Probably the one guy that should literally give a clinic on cornering on gravel i've never seen anybody corner better it's the it's the damnedest thing we'll put him on these renee hearst file tread basically slick tires and he'll out corner guys hmm. i mean not, what's his background he's a roadie i was gonna ask if he was like a crit guy i mean one of the things you learn racing crits is how to corner yeah he gaps guys on corners all the time and I, and every time i ride with them i try to watch and you know a lot of times it's nuanced so much that you want to actually hear somebody articulate something you know where's the, mm-hmm. where exactly is your balance exactly how much weight you have on your palms um you know so many little things but he he has um he, he has a gift for you know, not so much the super techie mountain bike sort of stuff, which actually he's gotten way better at, but he has the ability to ride, you know, what they're throwing at single track and stuff at these guys. He's able to ride that at speed and then just the classic, you know, American 90 degree turn on gravel, which there's, you know, there's a hundred of them in these races. Right. Um, he's just, he's just good at it. He knows where to... He's the margin. He's my marginal gains guys. You know, he's the guy that you might find with arrow socks and, you know, like doing weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's thought about all that. You know, it's he's there's nothing by accident with Eno. He's very prepared. He's very, um, very committed to this whole process and. He's just one of those fun guys to have. He's the guy that, you know, bakes a loaf of bread for the the family that was hosting us before we leave. You know, he breaks the bread oh, at Airbnbs nice. and leaves a, bake, a loaf of bread on the table. He's just one, he's that guy. Huh. Next time you're in Des Moines, he can stay at our place. <laughs> yeah, it's that good. Yeah, it's that good. yeah I can smell it just dreaming about it for sure. Yeah. So how about Danielle? What an interesting story there. She hasn't been riding forever and came no. from... No, she's green. NFL cheerleader? She was an NFL cheerleader for the Minnesota Vikings for three seasons. That's awesome. And was successful at it, had the ability to go back, but she was just like, there's got to be something else. She was looking for the next challenge. And... You know, she'd been a professional dancer for years, but she found cycling. I didn't find her at the time, but she, she found cycling and, and evidently just went from zero to hero pretty fast. Um, you know, faster than a normal person is supposed to be able to. Yeah, I wouldn't think from dancing. No, it would transition like that. But no, it, it it it's not a logical progression necessarily. But neither was Marissa's. But 
if you press into some of her physiology, you know, Danielle's resting heart rate is 32. Oh, my. And if you just, like, spread that physiology and those results across the stuff that you, the metrics that you get when you test somebody, you realize this is somebody that's very unique. This is not just, like, normal human being. And she's already putting out, you know, power numbers that would rival, you know, the girls on the world tour. So she would have got an invite from Eddie B. <laughs> she would have probably taken my spot, no doubt. <laughs> it's fair, but yeah, uh, she'll be fun to watch. I'm, I'm excited to uh, to see her in. Uh, she in raced. The gravel. In, she raced in Europe last year on the road. She raced. Um, <laughs> Some in the U.S., but like I said, this is a, a little bit of a um, a wild card for me. And she is green. She's surrounded by some really, really sharp teammates that I think are going to be able to grow her up. So between all of us and and her work ethic, I think I think we're going to see some fun bike races for her especially at some of the more classic races, right? Where we don't have to, we're not dealing with like say Cave Creek, Arizona, where there's 60 miles of, you know, single track. Right. 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 Uh, like, uh, I don't know, a gravel worlds or, uh, yeah. Um, there's, I don't know. An, yeah, yeah. Even an unbound, but unbound gets pretty rough here and there. Sure. Like mid south, know, the mid south un, unbounds, like, you know, on any sort of normal day, we're going to get to see um, how she does. So we'll yeah, see. For I'd sure. Cheer her on and we'll just see what happens. But I know that she's got a lot of upside. She's already yeah. seen the upside. She's working so hard right now. That's cool. And you know what's cool to me is seeing that Marissa is now in a position of kind of leadership in that team as um, kind of the uh, uh, the old kid. <laughs> um, she's been around. But to me, she's still new. I, you know, I remember my wife was her mentor. Wow. And, uh, and they're still good friends. And so to see Maria, uh, Marissa transition to being mentor for someone else, it's like, oh, she's like full circle, just gotten so good so fast yeah it's just amazing yeah yeah marissa came from volleyball yep she played volleyball did a little running so her crossover you know i think she's a little bit similar to danielle in the sense that she just was born with a special dna strand that obviously only matters when you put the when you match the work with it but she's obviously done that. Yep, done that and is doing that. Yeah. You know, it's it's great to have her back on her bike after her uh, broken pelvis last summer um, and see what she can do. I know she's motivated. We ride with Austin, her husband, now and again, and he's like, whew, I'd hate to line up with Marissa this spring. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um, you know, you just made a comment like she's still new 
And I think that in so many ways that's correct because in some ways the gravel world hasn't really had a chance to completely meet her yet. It's probably a fair you, statement. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I was at Gravel Locos last year and Fabian, uh, the race director, he's just a really fun, eclectic sort of guy. I mean, he'll, he'll be playing ACDC on the drums at the end of the, you know, at the award show and he's out there on some crazy vehicle during the race doing something, but he's fun. He let me follow that race last year in the team car, hmm. which I didn't, we didn't break any rules, obviously. Some people get all nervy about that, but some race directors could care less and some, some race directors, you know, don't want to see a team car anywhere out there, but he doesn't care. So I just went and watched that race. And the woman that won Unbound was in that group with her, along with a couple of really of the top female riders out there. And Marissa just outrode those girls. Like she just flat stronger all day. Almost to the point where if I'd had a bullhorn, I'd have been yelling to say, Marissa, get off the front. You know, because she had the ability to drive that group. There was a group of um, about four or five women and seven men. And she had the ability. She would attack the group some. And all of a sudden, you know, the ladies would um, all of a sudden do some work. But the rest of the day, the other ladies just weren't able to do much of the work. But Marissa was driving that group all day long. And she came around that last corner and there was a flag that was blowing into the into the corner uh, onto the onto the course and she ran into that flag on that inside corner <laughs> and the the finish is 100 feet after the flag she runs into the flag somehow doesn't crash but just really disoriented and lost by a foot and a half to the woman that won unbound mm. so here, this is two weeks before Unbound. This is all teed up. I just couldn't be more excited. I just had to shut my mouth and just kind of watch the bike racing. And then the mud happened at Unbound. Mm -hmm. Marissa came out of the... She must have been la the last woman out of the mud because I was with a photographer at the first photo checkpoint at mile marker 25, and she, she didn't come through that checkpoint. It felt like she came through there a week later. I was like, oh, wow, ouch. Well, by almost 100 miles, she'd ridden back up to, like, five minutes behind the lead. Like, she went Amazing. from, like, last to fourth or fifth, and she was riding through that race. And was taken out by just a brutal crash that she wasn't able to continue, and then broke her pelvis. And so when I say the world hasn't had a chance to meet her... That's kind of what I'm saying is like, had the, had she had a finished off that ride at Unbound last year and been on the podium or won that race, it would have changed everything. Yeah, for they, sure. They would have met Marissa, in other words, basically, and the media would have been more curious about what's going on. But as it was, you know, it was just kind of, it all got quiet. Marissa's got a broken pelvis. Here she's home recovering in Iowa with four kids. Her story's not being told. And I hope yeah. I yep. hope that this year she's able to tell it. Yep, we all do. Because, We're all fans of hers because she really is. Um, she's got the ability to win an Unbound, and a lot of those top tier races, and and you can only say that about a handful of girls out there. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. We'll be watching with uh, 
interest. She's not coming down to Rattlesnake Gravel Grind. You're coming down to that again, aren't you? Um, I'm going to try to make it uh, and bring Danielle. Dan oh, Dan Danielle's going to stay with us for a while. I'm going to try to bring Danielle. Um, I don't think Jenna's going. It would be um, Danielle and Eno. And Eno's coming. Sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are your other goals for this year? Do you guys have dates circled on the calendar that are especially important? Uh, I would say we don't have so much a collective bunch of goals, but the writers all have their individual goals, and I kind of just let them create their own schedule. I don't. There's some events that I want them to be at. There's some events that I steer them to go to, but their goals are their own. Hmm, that's cool. So there's some freedom on uh, on your team. Yes, a lot of freedom. I, I just hmm. I can't sign somebody. You know, Marissa's got four children. She's married. She's got a life. I can't tell Marissa what she does every weekend with her life. It just doesn't work, which in some yeah. ways is why they love it. It's because they're able to be involved with something that's really cool and that supports them. But um, they still have some of that flexibility that these privateers have. Yeah, which is cool. That's very cool. I know that, uh, you know, the big draw for the privateer thing is you get to choose your uh, choose your weekends. Sure choose the route you go crisscrossing the country yeah awesome well i will look forward to seeing you somewhere maybe yeah. in uh, texas in march um i don't know we'll see my my calendar's not full uh filled out yet either will we, you be at like mid, to go. will you be at mid-south or valley of tears or any of that um Probably not. We are, uh, uh, let's see, Mid-South's right after. We've got a, my wife has a work trip that we're going on right after uh, uh, Rattlesnake. My kid's graduating in May, which takes us out of uh, Gravel Locos, um, which actually pretty okay with because it's our last kid. It's college celebration will ensue good for you good <laughs> for you excited about that that's I'm awesome excited about that well i appreciate you having me on for a few minutes and i'm just the guy in the background but i love i love it and i love watching these guys race a bike and and I, I i just love the fact that kind of gravel gave this whole world of cycling just this giant injection that i'd never had any idea i i would have never foreseen that if you'd asked me 15 years ago um what's the next big thing i would not have been the one to figure it out no me neither but i, I have ridden awesome. gravel for a long time but yeah never foresaw this no I never foresaw this so uh it's definitely a, a new paradigm here in the states you know back from the old 7-eleven days and um the Coors light squad Low and brow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the road scene here in the U.S. was hot. 
and uh, it's transitioned big time to gravel, which opens up for a whole new paradigm of how to put together a, a team and go hit some of the big races around the around the U.S. And yeah. I'm glad that um, you said yes to the whispering corn in the <laughs> Iowa countryside, and you built it. <laughs> and uh, and I know your your riders. I know. I can only speak for Marissa, and I guess I talked to Chase uh, this winter. Um, both of them were thrilled to be a positive part of the um, part of your crew, and I know Marissa still is, and um, I appreciates the work you've put in and continue to put in to make that team a reality. Chase, so rock on, man. Chase is Chase is a great kid. I. I... Um, I hope that our paths cross again one day soon, but uh, uh, what a great kid. I mean, he just won Rock Cobbler, which is just awesome. Yep, he did. Uh, we might go up to one of his races. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for him to have a great year, even though he won't be in my kit. But, yep. Um, what a great kid. So, yep, for sure. He's thanks for having guy. me on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. John, thanks so much for joining me today and sharing your history with the bike and the team. I'm looking forward to seeing you and some of the other riders at races like Serum, the Rattlesnake Gravel Grind, and possibly Unbound. Best of luck and skills to you and your riders this season. Maybe we'll see some of you at the Core 4 in Iowa City this August. Who's ready for some Core 4 news? After a huge spike in riders and a super thank you to everyone for coming out this year, these guys jumped right back into the fire. It's no surface untouched again for 2024 because Core 424 has a sweet sound to it, no doubt. New routes, new distances, and a new you. That's right y'all, they are mixing it up with more surprises and delights. New for 24 is the Core 40 distance. Just a bump up from the 20 mile and still has all the farmscapes and B-roads and champagne gravel you'd expect from the folks at Core 4, just without the single track. They're telling us 60 is the new 50, miles that is. It's a no surfaced untouched podium eligible route with all the cats in addition to their marquee 100 mile event. It's the perfect blend of competition and community. We want Core 4 to be on your event calendar for 2024. Jump on Bike Reg today, snag your spot before this event reaches its cap. Come ride the wave and get more bodies on bikes. It's blazing hot action every year and they'll keep the fire stoked all winter long with the 20, 40, 60, or 100-mile route, Core 424 has something for everyone. It's time for the next time. Let's go! And this weekend, Dee and I are pedaling our tandem in the OG of winter gravel rides, the 65-mile Serum. And while I'm excited to spend the day rolling through the South Central Iowa gravel with Dee, we love riding our tandem. I'm also excited to announce that I've been selected as an Orange Mud Ambassador. 
and this weekend will be the perfect time to strap on the gear vest with a one liter hydration bladder. I'll let you know what I think. I'm also gonna be bringing my transition wrap that not only keeps me covered while I change out of my bibs, but it also fits over the seat of my car to keep all that gravel grit out of my seats. You should check out all that Orange Mud gear has to offer at orangemud.com. It's an Austin, Texas based company. I really appreciate you tuning in each week and I'd really love it if you would rate and review this show on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to support the show financially, just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com and drop a few coins in the cup. If you do, I'd love to send you a sticker. And be sure to check out the Bike Talk with Dave channel on YouTube, where you can watch some of our award-winning films, including A Thousand Miles to Nome and Down the Kuskokwim, both of which are about the Iditarod Trail Invitational, a bike, run, and ski race along the infamous Iditarod Trail. That race actually just starts in a few days from today when this podcast drops. And I wish everyone lining up at Kinnick safe travels this year. If you're interested at all in this remote Alaska race, be sure to watch both of those films and look for interviews on this podcast with the likes of Peter Inman, John Logar, Leah Groon, Steve McGuire, Steve Cannon, Tyson Flaherty, and more. Between the films and the podcast, you'll learn and get a great idea of what life is like on the Iditarod Trail. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy your rides as spring teases us with some warm days. And remember that nothing compares with the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle.